Sustainer Rumble is a part of Cut Print Podcast Network. Big thanks to the show managers, producers, and audio engineers for making this episode possible. You can follow Cut Print Podcast Network's official channels on Facebook, Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And also browse through their awesome lineup of podcasts you'll surely get obsessed with. What time is it? Rumble time. Rumble time? Rumble Talk. You're listening to Rumble Talks. Your weekly dose of the candid conversations on issues that really matter. I am Josh Reed. I'm Sean Nieto. And I am Siki Asinas. In this session, we talk about our thoughts on how moving less cars and more people would solve the painful traffic woes in Metro Manila, Cebu, and other highly urbanized centers in the Philippines. Let the rumble begin! Alright guys, so in episode one, we talked about universal access, freedom, or is it a privilege or freedom of who ro- who owns the road? Actually, um, yeah, in the in our episode one on, on mobility, uh, especially with our guest, Miss Daniel Gillian, she emphasized this uh, very important part in universal access. To quote, uh, in verbatim, she said, it has to be accessible universally and there's road safety, road safety in all aspects. And I think this is just perfect timing because I think that policy on car seats, child seats is now being implemented. There is this new law that children, when you're in the vehicle, should have their own car seat. It's now a policy. And then of course, you talk about the energy efficiency as well, maybe from pollution. That's why the government is embarking on PUV or public utility vehicle modernization. So transport-wise, I think what you want is to have that universal access. It's really universal access. I think for the planners, we always have to embody that. That's why transport is also a gender issue because we really have to hear from all kinds of people utilizing this particular mode or a particular infrastructure like maybe it's a pedestrian space, maybe it's a cycling lane. I know there's always debate. Should they go together? Should they be protected? Should they be protected or should they be separate? Those are the infrastructure, those that we have to be mindful of, unquote. So, Ms. Daniel uh, just gave us a really brief definition of what universal access it is or what it means for the community. And I also personally think that the, this is actually uh, a very valuable thing to also think about. Given that, of course, say for the past 20 or 10 years, we have been experiencing hellish uh, rides day by day. Say, for example, if you have really tried to to commute. Back then when I was in college, I, I studied in Mapua. My campus is in Makati and I live in QC and I go home day to day. And so uh, I commute, actually. I commuted uh, back then. So I ride the train. So imagine uh, MRT. So papasok kang fresh. Lalabas kang mandirigma. Yung nga sabi nila, di ba? This might be a joke to a lot of people. It might sound really sarcastic. But you know, there is really an underlying issue here. And I think that's because other than it being sort of like a hassle for everyone that actually take public transport, say that may that be a bus, a jeepney, or a train going to work or going to school. It also has to be very universal. And what I mean by universal is it's safe for all kinds of people that ride it. Pregnant women old women, persons with disabilities, say people with, for example, have physical disabilities and whatsoever. So, and uh, of course, it, it sure is gender neutral. So, it has to promote safe space also for the people and it has to really mind 
the capability of people riding these trains or these buses. Like for example, you know, do the buses have a say for example ramp or ramps for the for people in wheelchairs to to ride them? Are they low enough for uh, say elderly people to be able to climb the bus? Or say for example, just riding the MRT for example in Shaw Boulevard because historically this Shaw Boulevard has been really has been a really mysterious station because i'm not sure if you guys have heard of the of mount shaw or mount shaw boulevard whatever they call it kasi diba uh, in the mrt shaw station kasi the elevator is not well it's it's working but of course it's it's really tiny and then you have this these escalators that are not working and they have this really high staircase so imagine you being an elderly person how would you be able to climb that high Right or say for example, if you're someone who just brings a lot of things, de right? For example, you bring a lot of things to work, and then of course you don't have a car or you don't have a bike, especially before the but there is no, there was no bike lane or whatsoever. Imagine you bringing a lot of things with you and climbing that Mount Shaw, and now the right? there is also Mount Kamuning in Kamuning, essentially the footbridge there. So. These things uh, would actually lead us taxpayers and even all the people you know, questioning how did the the authorities, how did the government plan this, the, the, these things out? What were their basis? Are they simply, say, cutting on costs or say, are they just neglecting the these problems because they think that, okay, it's not really a big problem so it's not, it doesn't need to, to be fixed. And I think that is one of the flaws that uh, we had to we have to really uh, focus on for us to be able to at least make mobility inclusive. We have to really think about all kinds of commuters, all kinds of riders. Also, it goes with the design or the infrastructure because at the first place, if the design and infrastructure is not there, then you're already encouraging people to actually take public transport, and that I think that is also why it. A lot of people are also opting for, say, getting a car because they feel unsafe when they ride a bus. They feel harassed. They feel they're molested if they are women. Say, for example, uh, if they are elderly people, then they would just rather take the cab because, of course, it's unsafe for them to ride a train that is fully packed because they might be hurt physically. They might be elbowed. They might be cramped up. They, they might not be able to breathe properly. I think this also goes with having the safe infrastructure for all these vehicles to also traverse. Now that we're also considering the bikes, and since we mentioned also in the past episode na for the past 30 years, we have not really thought about building a, a bike lane. But just last year, no, in the middle of the pandemic, our authorities were able to reframe their mindset and, I mean, at least paint the, the main avenues and inner streets with bike lanes. You know, It's unprotected yet, but it has a dedicated line. At least there is a line or a lane, rather, that uh, bikers themselves can actually traverse on. They would not have to weave in through traffic because, of course, they are the most vulnerable. Imagine having to bike. It's already very stressful to the legs, especially if you're going uphill. Tapos you would have to weave in and out pa in a choke avenue. That That is really difficult. More often than not, you would meet any accident. May it be just bumping into another car or, say, a, a car bumping onto you. So, being able to provide universal access means allowing or, say, providing a safe space 
an inclusive space for all kinds of commuters and travelers and all kinds of mobility options to traverse smoothly and securely on every space there is. Really be, being able to maximize whatever we have, any inch of space we have, and any inch of, for example, spot that we have in vehicles, in public utility vehicles, or in trains, or in buses, or whatsoever. For each and every commuter that would need them, given that there are lots and lots of commuters in the Philippines today. And of course, it's also considering the fact that the urban population is expected to surge in the coming years. So it has to be something that uh, we should put really serious attention on and something that we should also fund in order for us to really see you know, changes and not just neglect it on the side, thinking that it's not a major problem in comparison to other national problems that we have. Jonas, what do you say to that? Well, CK said a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But here's my issue when it comes to universal access. I'd like to point out this probably seen photos of the soon-to-be-opened Ortigas BGC bridge. Ah, yeah. You know what's the one flaw of that bridge? It's still (laughs) car-centric. Yes. (laughs) There's no sidewalks. Hmm. I mean, poor Guadalupe Bridge, you know, that bridge that really is sort of an eyesore when you you know go down to Guadalupe MRT but that bridge had sidewalks or has sidewalks that bridge or I mean at the time of this recording because I'm, I'm guessing when we publish this we this will already be I mean the bridge would have already been opened but if you look at the bridge you don't see any people-centric areas in it even just one side of the bridge would have been enough. But no, no. You can't cross that bridge if you're going to walk. And that creates a problem because people would be forced to take other routes if you want to walk from Ortigas to BGC, which is a very important route nowadays, considering that those two areas are really up and coming. And you know, Jonas, uh, just a very quick, something that concerns me about that bridge also is it's penetrating a residential area. Imagine how ironic it is, diba? It penetrates a residential area connecting BGC to Ortigas. And then the residential, pe- I mean, the people in, the, in, in that residential area cannot actually access that very road because, especially if they do not have cars, diba? Because it's meant for cars, essentially. There's no way for people to actually cross the bridge but to the other side which is supposed to be the better solution if we really want to move more people because lo and behold what I think a lot of people don't understand is there is about 80% or more of the urban population or Metro Manila population that do not have cars and yet we provide them with only 20% of the road space so imagine it's only becoming more exclusive Yes, you connected BGC to Ortigas, you shortened the travel time, but only for cars. Not really for people or majority of the people that do not have cars. And, well, I'm also concerned because our infrastructure in terms of buses for a month. Yes, we now have buses that are increasing in capacity or PWD friendly in terms of P2P. But you know the BRT system needs to be improved because the way we hastily did the BRT system in Metro Manila, if you look at it more closely, it's 
I mean, they had issues in which side should the doors be on the buses because they, the center island is really the place where they built in the terminals and they face in the wrong direction. So that was a big flaw in the BRT system that was made during the pandemic. Other than that, the bike lanes, the bike lanes tend to be confusing. If mm. you've gone to Osmeña Highway, when you exit Nichols, uh, the, the Nichols Toll Plaza near Naia, there's a bike lane there. A bike lane on a 10-lane highway. And then you have like slots for exits for Skyway in some sections where there are bike lanes. So, yes, I was happy that we now, or I am happy that we have bike lanes, but putting them in areas that bikes would have actually, <laughs> bikes would actually be a hazard <laughs> is also problematic. And something that I also noticed, because I also bike around the city on weekends, and Manila, I, I noticed along Rojas Boulevard at least, the bike lane is painted red. But, In EDSA, it's painted green. In QC, it's painted blue. So I'm not particularly sure what we are trying to achieve here. Although, yes, we have a dedicated lane. But then, of course, you have to think about design. Say, for example, on, on traffic signals, whenever there is something that's color yellow, you really have to not you, do not, you do not have to cross it or you do not have to, say, stay on top of it. Say, for example, that's a yellow box. Right? You're prohibited there. And then there's, for example, the broken lines wherein either it's okay to overtake. Solid lines, you cannot, you should not overtake or you should overtake with caution. With this, you know, parang, I think it only, if it only just confuse people later on, say, what do these red lines mean? What do these blue lanes or green or, or red lanes mean? Diba? I think we should, at least diba, on that very fundamental, I, I think we should be able to find a common design a commonly accepted framework that all cities can actually use for us to be able to really create a seamless mobility or seamless way to traverse to any part of the city may you be riding a bike or just walking or riding your your kick scooter or say for example if you're just riding your your own vehicle your car you'll be able to understand what those lanes are for or why those lanes are built that way diba right? It's sending a signal to, to everyone that, okay, uh, what are the new traffic rules and regulations? What are the things that we should be abiding on? What should, be, what should we mind about for us to be able to also be more responsible in traversing the roads? Because of course, right? if you are riding a car or if you're driving a car, rather, you are responsible for your own and other people's lives. Because at the end of the day, if you're riding a car, then there's always a possibility of you crashing or bumping over another person or people right? and you're responsible for their well-being so yeah I think it, you know, just on that very very aspect no, we have to really standardize things we have to talk and uh, we have to at least start having that similar understanding in order for us to really enact better solutions as, as we as we scale them because right now the bike lanes there that we paint on along, the, along those lanes are very simple it's the most basic infrastructure How can we move forward effectively and efficiently intercities if we do not have a universal code or so or a design for for such things, right? And that's true. I agree with that. I think there's much to be done on a very systemic level, as you said. It's not just about coming up 
with policies for the sake of coming up with general policies, but it's about making sure that all commuters, all passengers are able to have the most streamlined, efficient, and unified um, transport system that can be present within the present day. As you said, it's about connecting the networks with one another, having so the signs, because I mean, generally speaking, the stop sign is pretty universal. All of these different traffic signs are pretty universal at this point. So why don't we expand that further and include auxiliary signs, signals, as you said, like design that could at least help make things a bit more standardized so that people themselves would know know what is what, which is which, and all of that. Well, let's think about going towards this framework. You know, our speaker brought about this avoid, shift, improve framework. So just to give the context to our listeners, when you say avoid, it really means to the need to basically improve and have a transport system that is streamlined by simply removing or reducing the amount of traffic that's in there. Then there's the shift framework, which is one more notable example would be the intermodal transport. And then we go with improve, which is focusing on or which focuses on infrastructure optimization and how to have efficiency in fuel by increasing the, the travel times. So what should we focus on by integrating with these three um, approaches? About avoid, shift, and improve. Actually, this is something that also interests me given the fact that this is not only applied or this is not totally new. This is actually a framework that has been, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the past episodes, has been applied in the most sustainable cities in terms of mobility and transport also, like the Netherlands and uh, Austria, Belgium, which used to be a really car-centric if you would be able to, to find or search on Google, say, 70s or 80s Netherlands, you would be able to find car choke streets much like metro manila exactly like metro manila like uh, exactly how you could picture metro manila today and uh, you know for us to be able to i think enable to do this uh, or be able to do this is to i think we have to first identify how or, or for example uh, i think we have to first prioritize prioritize that of course we have to change we have to change strategies we have to change tactics we have to see everything on a systemic or in a, in a big picture level. The common dilemma that we have, we've been having for 20 plus years now, since we have been focused on making cars go faster, is we have been looking at the problem one-dimensionally. So like, say, for example, if we want to alleviate the traffic along EDSA, then we just look at EDSA. We do not tend to look at other the secondary streets or inner streets. So say, for example, if we focus on EDSA, then how does this impact other inner streets or secondary streets, right? So this could, uh, this is actually something that uh, we have been neglecting, and that that is why even the traffic has also migrated, you know, in inner streets, given the focus and the 
what we also fail to you to realize is, say for example, EDSA at all. It's not really about the buses that traverse EDSA or say the cars that traverse EDSA, but more on having that certain infrastructure everywhere, not just in EDSA, that caters to cars more than other modes that could actually carry more people. This goes to sh- say that, you know, if we begin prioritizing the most effective ways, which could we could actually pattern from other countries that have made the successful shift, like, uh, yes, say the, the Netherlands, or say we don't need to look far. There's Singapore, there's Japan. I think Malaysia is also becoming... Indonesia is really becoming a really people-centric country in terms of mobility also. So, yeah, I think we have to move people from cars, uh, you know, from riding cars to taking the public transport. And I think that is also where we should, say, plan things out. Because it's not easy to just entice them to, to move to, to public transport if the public transport is not ready. If the supply of our public transport does not meet the demand or the incoming demand rather if we if we aim if we just enforce policies for the car owners to shift into taking more public transport incentivizing them or incentivizing even the transport operators to get more people to ride their vehicles right so we have to have the funds also and that, i think it is also where say the the certain infrastructure that we they, they've been doing how they pay the transport operators in uh, abroad I forgot the exact term, but it's letting go of the boundary system, essentially. You know, letting go of the boundary system. And uh, I think it's, con- ah, I forgot, it's contract something. Service contracting, yeah. Service contracting. Service contracting, we give transport operators the stable pay for them to just focus on providing quality transport. Uh, if they do good, then of course they would be commended. Then they could have bonuses. They could be rewarded. If they, uh, once we say, for example, we, we do service contracting, then it also incentivizes the transport operators to also invest in more cars. Or say, if we could also charge congestion, I mean, the, the, the car owners or the drivers, if they use their cars, then they would be charged more, say, in terms of parking or other fees or whatsoever, then we could also use those taxes or those payments into funding more on this avoid on on this avoid shift and improve framework in order for us to build a better infrastructure this is really um a really sophisticated and a really thorough process that, that we have to undergo i don't think that this, we would be able to see like dramatic results in 5 years you know i, I think it's it's going to be a slow process maybe 10 years at best i'm not sure but you know i think it really starts with setting proper priorities and looking beyond just moving cars it's really about moving people and moving goods better it does not have to be in cars it does not have to be in private vehicles there are lots of modes to actually move people and goods and the, the key there is of course if there would be less cars on the road then there would be faster transit right i mean the buses will be able to travel faster those that take cars if they need to would actually be able to travel faster also. And also, there would be more bikers on the road because, of course, biking is really economical, right? You only have to spend your physical energy for you to use your bike and not pay for anything. I think bike parking is does not charge any. I'm not sure. Or maybe, of course, it charges lower than car parking. So it's it also promotes 
better health because of course you also exercise in the process. I definitely agree with you on that. One of my primary points always whenever I hear about people wanting to of course shift more and more people towards alternative transport, biking, mass transport is one. How good are our, our mass transport systems? Because people would always talk about how we have to get more people to stop using cars. But if our infrastructure currently or lack there make commuting a living hell for people, then whenever they're given a choice, they're going to go for cars. Not just because it's convenient, but for the most part, because it's the most humane option there is in mm. as far as their individual comfort is concerned. Exactly. So what I always say is, as you mentioned, CK, it's about prioritization. And it's about thinking, I wouldn't say outside the box, but thinking more holistically about it. We have to think strategically and long term. So there has to be a plan set. And the plan inevitably has to go towards the objective of moving more and more people through transportation vehicles or systems that are more equitable, inclusive, environmentally friendly and accessible. Hopefully more public as well. Because as studies shown and as cities all around the world have showcased the more efficient and you know really united and holistic a city's public transport system is, the better. The mobility is within the city. So inevitably, that is the end goal. But we also have to make sure that while we draft the plan, we don't forget or dismiss the everyday experience encountered by people on the ground today. Not just today also, but tomorrow and the next week and the next year. So we have to make sure that we do these things with a certain amount of balance. And I think it really starts with, as you mentioned, prioritization and making sure that we're hitting the actual areas or sectors and infrastructure that needs to be tapped. So when I say if you want to convince more people to go into mass transport system, don't just make private vehicle experiences a living hell, but make sure that the mass transport systems are actually improving or being improved, whether it be the, stairs, the long staircases heading onto the MRTs or the LRTs, or whether it be ventilation within the cars itself, or actually just the punctuality of the trains in and by themselves. To make sure that we improve these. Because if we improve these, given all the benefits that public transportation carries, I'm pretty sure that a good chunk of the people would really prefer to take that route. Same with biking. Same with walking. More and more people would be willing to bike or to walk, especially if it's within a reasonable distance. If our bike infrastructure is improved and, I don't know, within reasonable, say, area or design that aren't just placed there for the sake of having things there. But mm. it's actually within that whole holistic system, as Jonas stated. Don't just put the bike lane there because you want to put the bike lane there. Make sure that it's actually a place where the bike lane can be placed there. If you're going to place it there, make sure it's placed properly with the proper protective infrastructure in place, with the proper systems or auxiliary uh, designs that are necessary to ensure that the bikers are comfortable, that mm. they're enabled, and at the same time, they're safe. So when we look at these things, it has to 
be in a way that's holistic, systemic, and definitely well-balanced. And it's not an easy feat. It's definitely not. No one is saying it is. But all I think we're saying is that it needs to be done because it's only going to get worse if it's not done. And at the same time, while it is being done, it's important that we remain grounded while we head on to those very strategic long-term goals. But it is possible. As you said, a lot of cities have done it before. What makes us any different? Yeah, essentially, what makes... Actually, there's no, there's no difference, I think. If we're just gonna compare Philippines from, say, the Netherlands or Philippines from Brussels, diba? or uh, or yeah, Belgium or Austria. Why? Because essentially, at the end of the day, we're just people. People that need goods and services, that have work, that needs to go to point A to point B. So, so essentially, you know, we may have different infrastructure in place, but then there are the fundamentals, there are the foundations that we can actually just follow. We do not need to create novel solutions or just, say, come up with something that's... Because it's not totally cultural, eh, in my opinion. You do not need to really rely on culture for you to be able to create or to establish that sustainable mobility framework. There are blueprints already available there that have been um, utilized or, say, maximized by different countries. So why can't we do it? And uh, I, re- I really like what you said about the avoid. Because, of course, that's the very first thing. And that's the very first step. How do we avoid traveling? Or, say, lessen traveling? One of the things that the b- pandemic brought us is the ability to work from home. Before, employers could not really imagine their employees working from home. Because, of course, there would be a lesser chance or a lesser capacity to monitor them. And I think that is just a, on, on a micromanaging point of view. But then again, you know, it has proven that people working from home have uh, seen or say enabling working from home has seen an increase in productivity because of course you give the time back to people, you give them the comfort. So instead of like having to wake up at five in the morning, shower, they say uh, it would take you one hour to shower, brush your teeth get prepared so you, you would uh, have to move out at 6 then it would take you 2 hours including the pila or lining up in the terminal 2 hours 2 to 3 hours to get to the office and then also back right? from from the office to your house so imagine 6 hours on the road plus 1 hour to prepare uh, 1 hour to do dress down to your pambahay clothes so imagine 8 hours more or less Eight, seven to eight hours of your day dedicated for you to sleep more, eat breakfast, meditate, say, do whatever you want to do or say, exercise at home, diba. It gives you your time. So it's essentially you have a better frame of mind, you have better health and you work at home essentially and that lessens travel, right? Or, and also what you said about what if people don't need bikes or don't need or other types of vehicles just to get to where they want to go. Uh, what if we can just have things, goods, services, products, and everything available within walking distance? And that is one of the essence of you know avoiding, right? So how do we how do we enable this? Actually, that one of the things is mixed use, which we also uh, which we also tackled on in a past uh, episode in a previous episode, right? And it starts from there, and then of course shifting to public transport and uh, non-motorized or uh, active transport, and then improving from there. But uh, of course, Jonas, we have to hear your thoughts. I know that you are before the actual, well, even right now, when you 
when you go around, right? You you use your 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 scooter, right? So, but uh, from your point of view, you know, how will this ASI avoid shift shift and improve framework affect other people that say move around cities or wherever using their scooters or their bikes? And how do they fit in in this ASI approach? If you think about ASI in the context of bikes and electric scooters, they're more of the S approach because you're not really taking up space. In a, in a one-lane road, you're probably having four or you know probably two bicycle riders or probably even three bicycle riders if you're not really that uh, big of a size. So then you, you can also weave around traffic. So your traffic becomes less or the, the stoppage of traffic becomes less of concern. It's more of, do you have a road to go on? You have an open road to go on. So pre-pandemic, I utilized the, you know, the benefits of multimodal transport. I take my scooter from my house to the bus stop to of the P2P going to ATC in Alabang. And then once I go down, I take the scooter all the way to my office just beyond Alabang Northgate. Mm-hmm. And although sometimes it get kind of gets scary on the road because back then there were no bike lanes. Mm-hmm. But the you know the cars and the the, the motorcycle drivers around Alabang Northgate are quite generous enough to give us a spot uh, for mm-hmm. us to go on. In the context of the pandemic, I I know they in in some parts of Muntinlupa they've implemented bike lanes. I know someone who actually become will become a host of ours in the next episode who utilizes his bike around Muntinlupa, and uh, he sometimes criticizes the bike lanes there because they're not really consistent, but he's happy that it's there. So I. Uh, I get assigned it again to Muntinlupa or probably Las Piñas which by the way is probably the worst example of traffic in Metro Manila mind mm-hmm. <laughs> Pure, sorry guys from the south <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think I would feel safer now uh, knowing that there is something like that um, mm. going to I mean going around Alabang through, through the Alabang Sapote Road is hell because of the the inconsiderate drivers, but around the side streets they're okay. And I think the pandemic and this this framework is helping everyone, you know, put more people on the road faster, not necessarily in in cars, but in other modes, which is great. And um, of course, for example, if you're coming from Alabang, Zapote, or Alabang essentially, or Muntinlupa. Or if you're coming from Makati, you want to go to Alabang, then it's also it'll also be beneficial if we have the intermodal transport, right? Where you can board your your scooter or board your bike, and uh, in the bus, then you in the last mile travel, you just alight the bus, and then you can just bike or scooter to wherever you want to go last mile, two kilometers or one kilometer away. But something, you know, something that has been raised by by Miss Daniel is she thinks that it's difficult for people to actually bring their their uh, devices, transport devices on uh, in, in bus because, of course, it's heavy. It takes up space and everything. So why not 
just build parking parking spots instead. So say for example, if you want to ride the bus, so you can just bring your bike to the to the bus stop, park your bike there, say chain it or if if we have a mechanism like for example QR code, sort of like that, they have a QR code lock or whatsoever, and then you just park it there and then take the bus. And then say when you alight, then you take a bike rental or whatsoever or Say for, say for example, if you are alighting in BGC because they have the, the bike rental there or just walk to your office. Say for example, if it's in Makati, this is also where the transit-oriented development will actually come in. And when you go when you go back, okay, just take the usual route, take the bus, then bus uh, alights you in the same terminal that you actually rode in when you went to when you rode the bus going to your office and uh, take your bike. You scan the QR code or something. Or say pick or say if you have a special lock or whatever mechanism they may have there, or if it's just a protected bike, no one can actually steal other other people's bikes. So it'll also be it's it's another good infrastructure to have, and it's really thinking about people also because of course not everyone can actually bring their bikes in the bus or bring their scooters in buses, you know, for intermodal transport. It's really providing that level of option because, of course, at the end of the day, us people, we have different capabilities, we have different capacities, we have different level of conveniences. Others want to bring their bikes with them, others do not. Others can just rent a bike, others can own bikes. It depends, right? But then at the end of the day, no matter how you view convenience, no matter how you want to, say, move around the city, it must be catered to you, it must be designed for you, right? You, the person. And uh, regardless of, say, if you are very fit or, say, if you are physically challenged or whatsoever, right? So, it's just bringing, bridging that level of convenience to everyone through infrastructure and design, of course. You know what, guys? <laughs> Being a plantito... You know, in real life, this is perhaps one of the best things I've started last year. I may have gone along with the trend, but you know what? I'm thankful I did nonetheless. I totally dig this newfound love of yours showed us. My mom loves gardening, and every morning I've been assisting her to maintain and grow our plants. I must admit that it's one of the most therapeutic things you can ever do in a day. You know that feeling when you get up in the morning and the sun is just high up, then you go outside to your terrace or wherever to check on your plants then i don't know watering them gives a similar feeling to meditating it's just so light and nice simple joys and all that jazz eventually does not need to be expensive lifestyle for as low as 300 pesos you can get a very pretty potted plant from isa's plant bar that will add more color to your room or better yet add more life on your work desk as you carry on with your day-to-day backlogs they get everything plant-related, from plants, to the soil, the rocks, and the pots. Check out Isa's Plant Bar on Facebook and find that there is a special service where you can just send the name or the photo of the plant you want and the plant bar will find it for you. And as they say, a greener home starts with a plant baby. So guys, given everything we've talked about, and there have been a lot, it makes me wonder really about what's currently happening with that long-term vision in mind. Do we have that now in the Philippines? Do we have maybe a 
program or a plan that's in place or at least a framework that could at least help us really develop the next step towards achieving a more inclusive and equitable mobile transport system within the country. And I know we talked about it during our previous episodes. I'm really just saying this, guys. <laughs> saying this out there for you guys, you know, like let's talk about, you know, the National Urban Mobility Program and, you know, what it could mean for the Philippine transport system, at least for both the short and the long term. Let me begin by saying that we need to think metro. I think the re- the main problem that we're having is that in Metro Manila, we think of ourselves as, I don't know how Quezon City people call themselves, Quezonians, but then again, Quezonians are also applied to Quezon Province people, but QC peeps. I'm just going to say QC peeps. From where I live in Mahati, we call ourselves Mahati Sens. And we're just concerned about us, you know, that just are the boundaries of our own cities. We really need to think about Metro Manila in general, Metro Manilenios, rather than our individual cities. Because for the national, you know, whatever program that we may have on urban mobility, be it the National Urban Mobility Program or one of the implementing components, which is your PUV, a modernization program, which you see, you know, with the, the, the new Jeeps that look like buses nowadays or electric jeeps, such as the one that I always see in Makati City Hall going to Mandaluyong. If we see it like that, then we could probably open up ourselves to more areas of concern. That we're just not confined to our own community or our own address or zip code, but really the area of Valenzuela, I guess that's the border up north, uh, all the way to the southern tip of the Spinas, and then the border with Bacoor. And probably you can even think about Metro Manila, I mean, Mega Manila. We include the... NCR Plus. NCR Plus, yeah, basically. NCR yeah, I was just about Plus. to say when you mentioned Metro Manila, I was like, no, let's expand it to Greater Manila. <laughs> yeah, because like, majority of people outside, well, a lot of people outside of working in Metro Manila live within Greater Manila. So it's really it's important as you mentioned Jonas, it's important to look at things from a wider perspective, not in silos, not like within Makati or Pasig or Quezon City or wherever. It's really what is in Metro Manila, what is in Greater Manila, how can we make people move within these areas and maybe even beyond or outside these areas better. How can we unite these different sectors and transport systems so they actually make sense? Like they're there for a reason. The paths are there for a reason. When you connect the circuits, they all map out and form this puzzle that's going to be nice to look at but also very nice to live in and to live with. Um, at least for each and every person, regardless of whether or not they're in a car. Just to remember, whenever there was, this was pre-pandemic, whenever there was a town hall meeting you know, with, with our mayor, Abby Binay, she would always say that the biggest headache that I actually have is how to maintain proper 
order in a place where in the nighttime is only 800,000 but in the daytime it's 11 times bigger that in itself in just the small Makati small it's not like our neighbors in Manila or Pasay or although Mandaluyong is actually small Taguig I guess is bigger so if you have it like that in a small city like Makati in terms of land area think about Metro Manila in general now that you factor in Tulacan, Cavite, Laguna, Rizal Province, that's a big population that goes in the daytime. Mm-hmm. So post-pandemic, we're going to get back to that. And it, it does look like that right now during rush hour. Yeah, basically. Basically, yeah. I, I would actually agree with you on that, Jonas. No? Because I, I, I go to the office, uh, especially if needed, especially, for example, if I have a client meeting uh, or if we have just an in-office meeting. So, like, it's around twice or thrice a week. So, I can actually see more cars getting back on the road. And it's like we're just going back to how we were we once were before the pandemic. It's like nothing has been solved except for, of course, we had the BRT plus the bike lane. So I think that these new infrastructure will just render useless if we do not follow through with what we have started already. Like, how do we really entice people to uh, use less of their cars and utilize public transport more? I understand that a lot of people would still opt for to, to drive their cars because of the health risks. They might be exposed to other people and everything. But then, of course, if we are also if we are just informed. If we just properly inform of, say, uh, making our facilities more, more, more safe or safer from the virus and everything, and also from acquiring the virus from other people, then I think uh, we'll be okay. And I think also for most people, if you are just, say, if you're abiding, say, for example, if you're wearing your mask, you are distancing, I think you, you would have lesser, there is a lesser risk for you to get the virus when you ride the bus or other PUV because of course I know people you know office mates alone they, they, they commute but then they're negative ever since since last year right so if people can actually do this and if people can actually stay safe then why can't others they must stay safe also so it just goes to show of course the virus is another topic in itself but it's another consideration why people are shying away from using public transport despite having the BRT which is supposed to be enabling faster transport since uh, there's a dedicated bus lane for buses you know yeah and then there's just uh, there are just lots of things to to work on there are lots of challenges to take on for us to be able to really cement and concretize whatever solutions that we come up with especially of course if we want to create lasting changes with again like i said you know we don't need to to create new solutions we can just copy and see how it we can actually fit it in our current landscape now right so we have to craft a national policy we have to have a, a concrete data gathering mechanism data collection and the analysis also for us to be able to know say the numbers to compare statistics right then see how many people say for example how, what time does the search of surge in ridership happen or, or whatsoever all of those uh, important data analysis that we actually need to undergo we have to to concretize that we, have, we also have to have political backing or support because if we do not have champions in the national government then it, it will be hard for us to, to see more concrete changes because we need more 
more and more officials that would push more policies signed the international government. Then funding, of course, funding definitely we, we need we need funding. We, right now we, of course, we there are lots of given that we are a third world country. I understand that there are different sectors that need more funding. So for example, for public health, for education, because of course a lot of people say children are out of school youth and uh, do not have the families do not have means to send their kids to school. And then, um, of course, um, we also have to think about the enabling laws, planning and design guidelines, you know, or guidance. I think uh, when we put these into place, we would be able to build the foundation on, on creating lasting solutions. But it's really for the long term, you know. Of course, because if you want to integrate public, I mean, active transport into the mix, something that's safe and secure also and also very elaborate in such a way that anyone say for example uh, anyone from say five kilometers away from their origin can actually bike or scooter all the way to their destination without having to worry about safety without having to worry uh, uh, without having to wear helmets even because in other countries they don't wear helmets (laughs) that's how safe their public transport infrastructure is you know, this goes also with educating drivers and even public utility vehicle drivers to understand new rules, to uh, recognize that bikes and scooters also have places on our roads. They have the dedicated lanes, so you also have to share the road with them. We have to tackle behaviors that discourage the non-motorized transport and public transport, mainly the car-centric mindset. But I believe, you know, because a lot of people think that uh, this is a cultural thing. Eh. Parang Filipinos want to own their cars because it's a status symbol. Maybe on some level, I would agree on that. Maybe it's somewhat true. But then at the end of the day, it's really how we design things. We are just reacting to whatever or however our environment is built. So if our environment is encouraging more, encouraging car movement, car ownership, then it's the environment that we have to change not necessarily our culture because why why have Netherlands or why have say Austria or Vienna have done it it's not cultural thing actually they used to be a car centric countries but now diba, we have said that they're now bike centric and people centric also mobility centric it's not really a cultural thing it's it's how we design our infrastructure the car centric mindset is just a reaction our reaction to how everything is built around us because of course there are less sidewalks the public transport is not good it's not uh, sufficient enough to cater the surge of commuters in Metro Manila you know and the demand as well so all these you know summing it all up it it really boils down to yeah it's prohibiting people to move via bikes or just walking so they're opting for car travel for jeepneys for tricycles if you, can, you can just walk mm-hmm. it, but you still take tricycles. Imagine, because of course the infrastructure is not very apt for walking, right? So everything really boils down to how we design everything from policies to infrastructure to uh, essentially the environment around us. We have to make it more conducive for people yes. to also move regardless of however they want, as long as it's convenient for them. Move away from, from using cars and encourage more walking because of course there are lots of benefits that you can actually get with just yeah. simply walking or biking rather than taking your car 
I think no one else could have said it better than you, the way you said it. It's really about the design and the way we make the design work for the people and the culture, the behaviors, and the patterns that the people would eventually take up either in the present or in the, or in the future so that all together we could slowly inch our way towards a more uh, inclusive transport system. Hmm. All right. So, Jonas, do you have uh, any other inputs? No. All I can say, I guess, as my way to close things up is, you know, in order for us to be mobile or mobile, we don't consider speeds. We just really need to consider people plus goods. Yes. People and goods movement, essentially. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, I don't think we can end it in another way. Thank you guys for a really wonderful discussion with you both about mobility, you know. And this is something that uh, we, you know, just uh, us sharing our thoughts could actually influence other people to also think the same way and see things differently. Also, thank you for our listeners for listening to this episode. If you like this episode, please do share it to your friends. If you think that they would actually benefit from this uh, discussion, then please do share it to them. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on our channel on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to uh, be in the know of the next episodes, right? And the next topics we are to talk about. And again, if you want to join the next uh, Rumble Talks, upcoming Rumble Talks, then please uh, don't forget to message us. If you know us personally, you can message us on Facebook or um, wherever wherever you, you are connected with us. You can also email us at sustainerrumbleteam.gmail.com you can also, um, if you are part of the, our group page, which is the, the Pit by Sustainer Rumble on Facebook, you can also express your interest to join. Guys, final words? No. no. <laughs> thanks for listening, <laughs> no, guys. <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye. See you, guys. <laughs>